gorgeous out. Let's pop some docks. This is the Updock Podcast, a blend of upland and waterfowl hunting. Tune in as your hosts, Tyler Meaden, Jeff Ludicky, Matt Jeske, chat about training dogs and share their bird hunting stories, tactics, and strategies. Welcome back to another episode of the Up Duck Podcast. My name is Tyler Meaden. I am one of your hosts, and I am joined by the rooster assassin and mud motor maestro, Jeff Ludicky, and the Mississippi Riverboat gambler himself, Matt Jeske. What's up, fellas? What's up, Tyler? Hey, how's it going? How was that intro, Jeff? That was good. Crushed it. That was good. Matt, thumbs up, thumbs down, or just kind of meh. You're getting, you're, you're getting consistent. Well, we're 27, 28 episodes in, so you better have it dialed in by now. <laughs> no, half the time we don't even go with an intro anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Jeff, what's what's on the desk in front of you right now? What are you sipping on? Still picking away at the uh, Oktoberfest. Got a couple left. I sound like a broken record on this thing every you week do. and drinking Oktoberfest, but you do. people every probably get like sick of hearing me talk about it. But every week, away like, at I'm, I'm running, I'm running low on Oktoberfest. There's two left. Okay, two left. So we got two two podcast episodes left. <laughs> people got to listen to it. Okay. Oh, uh, are you bringing it to Iowa though? I'm not going to have enough. Okay. I don't know. Okay. No. Okay. All right. Find uh, something Matt, else. Yeah, Matt. Matt, what's on your desk? The the usual, the water. No no ciders. Yeah, yeah. no, no. <laughs> yeah. definitely water. Okay, same. Mm. Take a quick swig there. Um, all right, enough of this nonsense here. Let's bring in our guest today. Uh, his name is Brian Connolly. He works for Anuk Shuk, which is a dog food that you may or may not have heard of. After this episode, you'll be very very familiar with it. I'm sure. Uh, Brian, welcome into the Up Duck Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers. 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 Are you uh, joining me in an adult beverage tonight? I do have a beer in hand, yes, because I listened to a few episodes and I know that it was going to go around. So I was like, well, I was going to have a beer anyway, so I might as well save some. So I'm drinking Snap Dicky Cream Ale made in Edmonston, New Brunswick. So I'm talking to you from Fredericton, New Brunswick. So this is a couple miles north of us, a little industrial town that lo and behold has a brewery or two that's okay. awesome yeah it, i'm happy you're joining me tonight in the uh the adult beverage consumption department it's the holidays you know it's advent you got i don't have a calendar anymore so you know a beer a night instead of a chocolate in the morning there you go i love it <laughs> and, and what was the name of that brewery snap dicky is that what you said no snap dicky is the uh is the name of this particular beer that's the name of a hockey player from edmonston it's gotcha. brasser de petit so so petit so is Ooh. like uh, small something in French. Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're bilingual uh, here, but we're not all perfectly bilingual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That is. Uh, okay. I, I, so I got to ask Brian, what time zone are you actually in? So we're in Atlantic, which a lot of people don't realize exists, which is one hour ahead of Eastern. So it's uh, about 10.30 p.m. right now back home. Yeah, we're about an hour and a half northeast 
of the main border. And it only gets earlier if you go to Newfoundland, which is like an island in the Atlantic that's part of the Maritimes. And for them, it's like 11. They're a half hour ahead of us, which is hilarious. Uh, yeah, so Atlantic time zone. So those Sunday night football games, the American football, that's got to get pretty late for you, huh? It does, yeah. And the West Coast basketball games and the West Coast hockey games are struggles to stay up for. I was telling you guys I might actually try to stay up to watch a quarter of a movie that I've tried to make my way through <laughs> over the course of a week because that's life now. But uh, but yes, yeah, it, uh, it it's nothing starts early over here when it comes to TV. <laughs> and uh, you were correct that I did not know the Atlantic the Atlantic time zone existed until we started chatting. I didn't know what it was called. I just saw the abbreviation for it um, when we were trying to line right. up, line up the time yeah. for this. So. People from California will call us and uh, they'll leave messages like, y'all don't have a very good work ethic. You're, it's 2 p.m. and you're already at home. And we're like, it's 5.30 here. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you don't get that. You're far away. Uh, so we're sorry. We love our West Coast customers. Just call in the morning um, or we'll get back to you tomorrow. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> All right. Um, we know where you're located. Just tell us, um, tell us a little bit about what you do and, and how long you've done it, Brian. Yeah, um, so I'm the marketing coordinator for Anukshuk, Um, and Anukshuk is made by Core Nutrition Company. So they're an Atlantic, New Brunswick-based um, feed company. They've been making commercial fish food and dog food for about 42 years, about as old as I am. Um, I've been working for them for Anukshuk for three years as a marketing coordinator because, it was, well, almost four years ago now, but uh, the brand was really gaining some momentum and taking off, and it was time to kind of put a proper focus behind getting the word out you know more intentionally rather than organically word to mouth and through the little demographics that we kind of had small successes burn outwards from in the mushroom community police canine community now the hunting community in a big way so we put a marketing team together and we kind of doubled the sales force and uh you know that's proven to be pretty effective because there's a lot of people out there with with a lot of dogs looking for a good food and we've we've done pretty well for ourselves so i myself um I, I came from a journalism background and I ended up working in like outdoor education and camp and then uh, a gear stores selling kayaks and tents during the off season and kind of parlayed that into this marketing position looking for it to make a change. I've been out in Fredericton for about 15 years now. Um, I'm from Toronto originally, but me and my brother, and my sister, we all moved out East, um, better pace of life. My family's from the East coast. So we kind of just like the slow down empty pace of it here. It's really pretty. We found good gigs and this uh, Anukshuk has been amazing because I have dogs, love dogs, and I have tons of friends that are very competitive with dogs, both hunting and like, uh, you know, caney cross and, and sled racing and a whole bunch of different things. So uh, finding a gig for a family owned company kind of with a kick ass product that was getting ready to do some real growth and kind of get to do that all from the home city where I was already living was a good opportunity. So, and you know, things, things have been going well. So it's been a, it's been a pretty wild ride slinging kibble, as I like to say. I like, I like that slinging kibble. Did you, so did you feed a Nookshook or did you know about a Nookshook dog food before you started working for them? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a dog ace. He's a 12 year old German short hair pointer. He's right here unconscious. <laughs> on the living couch life. right now living living his best life he goes to work at a dog food factory every day he's got zero <laughs> complaints um so he was actually he's a norwegian sled dog a gsp mixed with a greyhound they call them gracers and they breed them for like pulling small sleds so like lightweight sleds with one person 
maybe four dog or two dog or one dog team races, sprints between one miles, two miles kind of thing usually. But they people who do this love it and they breed these dogs for it and they're pulling machines. But at, when they get to be like five or six or seven, they retire them. And because these people have 20 other dogs that are young champion potential dogs that they got to focus on, they adopt out their retired dogs. So we didn't really know what we were getting into. We'd always love pointers. My friends and my families had pointers. So when I found out about Ace and the opportunity, I was a big trail runner. I was working at the outdoor gear shop downtown and mountain biked and all that. And they're like, this dog's perfect for you. You can connect them to your skis, to your bike, to whatever, and he'll pull you and you'll love it. So we adopted him and they were right. It was tons of fun, but he was like a performance animal, like an 80 pound pointer that was all muscle. His butt muscles looked like he looked like a Kardashian from behind just huge <laughs> and uh and he was used to like working hard so we went to we got into caney cross and we went to some races and all the races around here were sponsored by nookshuk because they're the local performance dog food company so of course the caney cross people and the sled dog people knew about them so i actually found out about it winning my first race with ace the uh, prize that was a was a bag of a nookshuk so that was how i found out about it and then uh, about three years later is when Emily Corey, our company president, her and her father kind of started talking to me about this new position they were thinking of creating because they had this product that they thought was about to explode and they needed to kind of put the right infrastructure underneath the brand to kind of handle what they perceived was going to happen. That's awesome. Is uh, I want to ask about Ace for a second. Is he really tall? With the, the the Greyhound mix, Greyhound GSP Yeah, mix. yeah, he's all legs. So his head is like above my belt line or just, just under my belt line, I suppose. And I'm about six feet tall. Um, but he's all legs and chest and, uh, you know, really narrow, um, big head. But yeah, like, I don't know if you can get a good look at him. But like, here's his legs right here. Hey, sorry, buddy. Yeah, really, really tall, really big dog. Um, and just, you, you should see him pull a sled. It's crazy. They go nuts for it. I think we were just talking about that on the last podcast episode. I had mentioned to these guys that, you know, a lot of sled dogs have German short hair pointer in them. And I think that's something that probably a lot of people, at least down in the lower 48, probably don't, don't know, you know, and that's, that's a super common. Yeah. It's a, it's a more of a European thing. Um, they're, they're called some, there's also Euro hounds that are like pointers mixed with Huskies. I think, Mm -hmm. um, that's another popular racing brand. These are Graysters, which is pointers and, and greyhounds. So yeah, there's a couple different variations of it and it's getting more popular in the States because Caney Cross as like the whole outdoor sport industry, like trail running and camping and backpacking and mountain biking as that gets popular. So does uh, ski joring and Caney Cross and bike joring and all that kind of stuff with these retired sled dogs. And then like the races, some of the races, like there was one in Quebec, which is a couple province over, over and they had 486 starts on the race line with all, all dogs. So 486 dogs and people starting this race together. And I think five years ago, it would have been under 100. So the, the sport's kind of blowing up in different pockets. So they're starting to become a little bit more known. More known. Interesting. I'd, I had to write, I just wrote down Grayster. Otherwise, I, I would continue to forget that term. I was going to ask you. Again. Yeah, and you'll see the, I can send you a couple of pictures of them, but you'll see them. They're, they're like black pointers with silver or white spots as opposed to the white and brown typically. Um, and they're big and jowly and they're awesome. Awesome dogs. <laughs> and you said the other one was Eurohound. Yeah. I think that's a Husky mixed with a type of pointer or a type of hound. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're a racing dog as well. Okay. Kind of, kind of, they're, they're, they're pretty cool looking too. They look different from Ace. They have more Husky. Well, obviously more Husky features. 
So is Ace your only dog, Brian? Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, he's our uh, guy right now. Good. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. We've got we've got a young son, uh, Linus, who just turned two today. Actually, today was his second birthday, and we've got number two on the way. I haven't told my family yet, but they don't listen to this podcast, so we're safe. Uh, coming coming down the pipe. So we're gonna hold off on the dogs right now. We're we're doing good acquiring family mothers and other methods. <laughs> well, congratulations on baby number two. That's Thanks. exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Cheer, cheers it. to that. Mm-hmm. Definitely cheers. Mm-hmm. Definitely cheers to that. I've got breaking news. Yeah. 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 We've got yeah. we've got five that are four and under between the three of us. So oh yeah. Oh, you got a gaggle. That's We're awesome. very much in the thick of it, that's for sure. Yeah. Yes. No, it's fun stuff. It's exhausting, but I've I've never been more happy to be tired at the end of each day. So it's going it's going good so far. Awesome. It's good to hear. Yeah. 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 That is that is the perfect way to put it, I would say. Um, let's uh, let's let's get into canine nutrition, though. And I think like sure. I, th- I think where we want to start is just new canine nutrition one hundred and one. So, and we're you know we're focused on on working dogs. We're focused on hunting dogs, gun dogs, bird dogs, whatever term you actually want to use. My first question is what what are the basic nutrition requirements of just of a gun dog or a bird dog? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends how you want to look at it. Like if you want to look at what their caloric requirements are, like, you know, a Labrador that's busting out of the blind 30 times a session, three, four days a week, you know, in season, they're going to have a set of caloric ingredients that you can trace, trace to a number, you know, they're burning 3000 calories a day. So we got to put, you know, 2000 calories back in them or whatever it is each day kind of thing. Um, You know, you can do that math, but then you also want to think about it as what's making up those calories, right? So, you know, what are the quality foundational things that good dog foods would have in common that you, your dog food should be comprised of? And mostly we're talking dry dog food and performance dog food. Um, you don't see much performance dog food and wet dog food because you just can't get the amount of protein and fat balanced. It's all moisture. Um, you know, it hasn't been removed. Dogs love it, but it's, you know, it's like gravy on potatoes. That's not going to give you the best body if that's all you eat day in day out right so with dry dog food you can get more of those good foundational building blocks into it you can tinker around with it and be pretty specific with your levels of certain things um so you can make those calories that that dog needs good rounded healthy calories right it's just like humans so you know what dogs need basically if you're breaking it down ingredients wise or like you know in yeah like that basic it's like good protein sources you need good carbohydrates some people think dogs don't need carbohydrates, but they're no longer wolves. They are dogs. They are omnivores. And um, especially if they're going to be active, you got to balance some carbs in there for sure. Fats, fats are energy. Um, carbs are your fiber and also energy sources. Proteins are where you're going to get your muscle mass and muscle retention. And then some vitamin mixes and some veggies to balance out things, you know, um, is, is about it. You know, dogs don't need much protein, fat, carbs, and vitamins is basically how you can break down almost all dog food formulas. It's just a matter of, you know, when you're talking about your fats that you're using to get uh, your fat levels up, are they good fats? Uh, Are they quality fats? Are the protein sources quality? Are your protein sources coming from animals or coming from another source? There's a lot of weeds and depths to kind of fall into. So uh, in the performance dog food world, you're going to notice they're all high protein, high fat, because you got to get energy to start the activity up and endurance to keep the activity going or to keep the muscles strong day in day out especially if you're talking overnight hikes or week-long trips and stuff like that you guys have probably been on week-long trips and you've seen a dog come back 
with a third of the muscle mass that I had when it started the trip, right? Yeah. What so uh, what do dogs use as their primary fuel source? Is it fat? Yeah. So fat starts the engine up, and there's there's two types of like activity too, right? There's like sprint, so like a, a Labrador um, or like a flyball dog that's sprinting, and it's really high energy, but it's small bursts, and maybe sometimes it's for small pockets of time. They're just going to be hitting fat. They're burning fat, burning fat, burning fat. Um, a sled dog or like a beagle that's going to be out working hard nonstop for four hours, five hours, eight hours at a time. They're going to need fat to get things going and to get their energy up, but then they're going to need protein to sustain that activity. So you need high levels of both, right? Um, so yeah, fat is, dogs are lucky. They burn it first. For us, we burn carbs first, right? And then after you get through all your carbs, you burn through your fat stores because your body's kind of holding on to those. Dogs are different. They burn fat first. They don't need to carbo load like we do before a race. So high fat diet is really important for those dogs or performance is um, something that you're considering and, you know, worried about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now with your guys, different formulas, obviously, you know, right on the bag, it says your, your protein percentage and your fat percentage, you know, you have 32, 32, 32, 25. Now, where do those numbers come from? How do you determine what percentages um, and what ratios are, are best for, for certain dogs? Yeah, that, that's a great question, actually. People don't ask that one often. So the original formula was 32-32, and that was being specifically calibrated for sled dogs. So the team that was developing the formula got together. They found out, you know, the expenditure needs of these dogs, and how many calories um, ideally they would get, um, what, the, what the breakdown would be like, for them to, to literally race the Iditarod, to go a thousand miles hauling gear for two weeks straight, you know, um, you find out what that need is and then you build as high to that as you can. So 3232 is calibrated for dogs doing thousands and thousands and thousands of calories a day. Um, 3025 and 2616 are two other energy levels. They were determined on broadening the product offering because not all dogs are sled dogs. So we knew that we made a really good food. We knew that our production methods were unique. Our independence was unique. We had a lot of things going for this. So to reach a, a wider audience, what's the next energy kind of benchmark that we want to calibrate to? So 3025 had police canines in mind where they have high stress jobs, um, maybe not as many eating opportunities. They'll go from sprints or long searches or both in a day. They're going to be all over the place, right? there's a good chance they're gonna need high fat. There's a good chance they're gonna need high protein. So the police dog and the long-term, or what, not long-term, but a hunting dog on a long day was in mind with the 3025 um, expansion to the formula. And then 2616 was, you know, we're gonna have puppies, small breed dogs or active dogs that, you know, have, again, lesser energy needs. So let's make an all life stage formula that's a little bit more broad um, that we can use for, for dogs that aren't quite up to the situation where they need a 30% protein, 25% fat. So by having kind of three tiers and stages, building down from the sled dog requirements to your active, normal, healthy dog or growing dog requirements. And to keep things simple, not making five options or 10 options or seven options, make three options that are, you know, right in the middle that you can feed less or feed more to, to broaden and cover the spectrum that way, you know, try to keep it simple while doing this. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Now, when you guys talk about proteins, you know, I think I look through the formulas and it seems like the majority of it is just, you have two protein sources, right? You're using mostly chicken and fish. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually. So even though in our marine formulas, we use three different types of fish, you're right. We still only use chicken and fish in general for all five formulas. Um, we can't use beef because it's really expensive and importing laws with mad cow disease concerns. You just can't do it mm. from Canada to the States. So beef is off the table. Lamb is super expensive. Duck is super expensive. So when you want to do it in any large scale, you're going to price yourself out. And it's also not as reliably sourced um, as your major proteins, um, live caught fish, chicken, um, pork, you know, those are all more accessible kind of thing. We use chicken because you can get really good quality chicken and it's got great omega threes and a bunch of other features. It's got a bad reputation in the dog food world and we can talk about that and why. Um, and then we use fish. We're on the Atlantic coast. We have amazing access to fish, the Atlantic herring, which is our like superstar ingredient, um, that we have in all five formulas as meal and as oil. Um, you know, it's not in the human food market, so there's a lot of it here. It's right out of the Bay of Fundy, live caught. It's amazingly fresh and it's packed with those like omega polyunsaturated fatty acids. So it's a, it's a star ingredient that makes sense for us, you know, having it in our pocket just because of where we're located. So yeah, chicken and fish is what we base our, all of our proteins off of mm -hmm. or formulas rather. You started to go there. Talk talk about why chicken has a bad rap. Why does it have a bad rap in the dog world? Chicken has a shitty reputation because you can get shitty chicken and make a shitty dog food and get shitty results. You know, it, that's just all there is to it. Like, you know, there's chicken nuggets and there's a roast chicken out of your oven that you, you know, pluck yourself that day. You know, to call those two things the same is not really capturing the essence of the differences there, right? So chicken byproduct meal is really really inexpensive and everybody's got it because it's not going to market for the human world so you can turn it into a low protein source um, and you can make an inexpensive dog food sell it you know 40 pound bag 30 bucks and everybody's happy right except for the dog especially if they're a performance you know animal right so chicken because if you flip the back of the bag around it's the first ingredient and you don't understand the difference of chicken meal and chicken byproduct meal you think they're both the same you get a bad reputation um, you know, meal, there's nothing wrong with meals. That's just the process of removing the moisture from whatever the protein source is. So you can put it into a dry dog food. So no matter what meat source you're dealing with in a dry dog food, it's been turned into a meal. Um, that's not the bad word. It's the byproduct. Um, you know, we use chicken that humans would eat. You can't call it human grade because our facility is not human grade. We make dog food. It's a, it's a dog food grade facility, but it's, you know, chicken, meat and muscles and organs and things like that that would be on the same market for human consumption kind of thing we don't use the chicken byproduct so that's a big difference and a lot of people have been burned um and it's really hard to figure out if your dog's allergic to something or sensitive to something so the vet or whoever it is giving you a device turns the food around says it's probably the food oh look at that chicken chicken's crappy you know i've seen this before so just avoid chicken and then off you go but you know the the reality is dogs 99.9 percent .9 of dogs can do great with chicken. It's a really affordable protein source with good omega balances. So if you source it right and treat it with respect, it's a great option. And the chicken rarity or, or allergy is, is much more rare than maybe the vet or like the market pulse might have you believe. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying there's bad dog foods out there with chicken in them. There is. 
but there's good dog foods out there with chicken too and bad dog foods with other ingredients too. It's, it's just, uh, you got to dig into it a little bit more. Yeah. When I hear the word byproduct, I think of like, uh, the pieces of the chicken that fell on the floor, they're getting swept up into, and we'd get thrown in the trash and then instead we're making minute dog food. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, it would be the stuff that's, it's literally left over and not appropriate for the human market. Cause the thing is the human market gets all the good stuff no matter what. So sometimes people be like, why don't you use venison in your dog food? It's like, cause humans pay top dollar for venison. There there's, you know, a scarcity for it or whatever it is. You know, the, the reason is it's like, you, you know, it doesn't always make economic sense. Um, so the, the byproduct stuff is popular because everyone has the waste from it. Um, and it, it is a lot different. It's not where the, the, the good quality of the protein comes in. You got to spend some money to make a quality product, right? So you got to buy good protein no matter what it is. And then the, the, the other ingredient in our decks that's controversial that people have a problem with is corn. And they're related partly. Um, another way to save money on a quality protein source is get it from not an animal product like you can get it from a corn gluten meal or corn meal or you know canola oil a couple different things but those are not great protein sources they're hollow compared to uh, a protein source coming from an animal they don't have the same uh, fatty acids same amino acids the same building blocks for success that you know are derived from the nutrition of the product but they're inexpensive and they'll technically get your protein level up to a spot. So if you're saving money on chicken meal and now you're boosting that up with corn gluten meal, now you're really saving a buck here and you've got this, you know, 25% protein dog food formula, but coming from two bad protein sources. So corn often gets blamed as a bad ingredient. And in that scenario that I just described, it absolutely is. Um, we use whole grain corn that we grind in house and we use it as a carbohydrate, as a sugar source, much further down the ingredient deck. And it's not a corn gluten meal like corn syrup derivative. It's corn that we just ground in our hammer mill ourselves and, you know, kept all those nutrients. So a big difference between those two ingredients for sure, right? You don't always have the luxury to explain that to people and you can only fit so much information on the back of a bag. Um, and there's 3,000 dry dog foods on Chewy alone. <laughs> so these kind of, you know, why does something have a bad reputation or is it actually a bad ingredient? These can be really long quests to take yourself down. And it took me a long time to learn the ins and outs of this to be able to feel the calls from the people calling in because people have questions about their dog foods. They care about what these dogs are eating and they should. For sure. Yeah, now you're talking about corn and obviously rice is another one too, but there's that big trend in, you know, the grain-free dog food. You know, and yeah. I don't think that maybe it's not as big of a trend as it was four or five years ago when we got our puppy, but, you know, our vet at the time, you know, oh, you got to be grain-free, you got to be grain-free. What is your take on the grain-free trend that's going around? The grain-free, so the grain-free thing, you're right, was um, a reflection and application of human values onto the dog food market because that's what we do. We turn our little pets into our little humans and we we treat them maybe differently than animals were treated 100 years ago, let's say. Um, so when humans' diets started to shift away from grains, carbs are the enemy, the pet food market all of a sudden had a cottage industry saying, well, grain-free diets for, for dogs. If people are buying grain-free for themselves, people will latch onto this. And it turns out that some replacement ingredients for grains you can save some money on for whatever reason. So a grain-free thing became viable in two senses. People will buy it. They're looking for it already. And maybe we can save some money on these other ingredients. So you had some dog foods that were not really serving, um, you know, created to not really serve a market, a, a, an actual purpose on the market. Um, and then because there was 
not much history with some of those ingredients that were swapped out for grains because you still need to make a balanced diet. Those grains were providing something, so you still need to provide that in the diet. The thing is wheat and corn, they have 25-year, 30-year histories with research and, and you know, proven studies and tests and peer-reviewed stuff, and we know how long dogs can do well on them. Uh, pea, legume stuff, other other ingredients, not the case. So, you know, problems started to happen with the food. Um, that whole thing kind of faded away as a, as a human diet. So a lot of the industry faded away with it. And now there, there's still remnants of it there because some people are still looking for it for whatever reason. Maybe their dog does have an allergy, but it's not what it used to be. And, you know, we don't deal with it much in the Anuksha side of things because people who have performance animals know that grains are an integral part of delivering that performance. So they're not looking for grain exclusive. At Cory Nutrition, we make a product called North Paw. It is a grain-free dog food product. It's a pet product. It's mostly sold in Korea and in Japan for small white dogs that fit in purses. Um, and it's good. It's using ingredients that are not harmful. So it's avoiding the pitfalls for those people that just want a grain-free option. Like, okay, we'll, we'll serve you that slice of cake. But it's something completely different from a nookshuk. So, you know, the grain-free thing, again, has a lot of just kind of smoke and mirrors and, and some hollowness to it that is not uh, on, on um, occurring in the dog food market in general. It's fascinating. Uncommon, I was trying to say. <laughs> it is. It is. I, Jeff, you got another question? I've got, I have so many right now. Go ahead, Tyler. You've I been itching. Even, I, can, I can see you over there just <laughs> shuffling around. I'm feeling, I'm, I'm trying to remember them all. I need to start typing them up here, writing them down. But what, so if, if I'm looking at, if I'm searching for food, right, if I'm going to try different foods, what are some ingredient, other ingredients that I should avoid when I'm looking at the ingredient list in the back of a bag? Um, so you want, what you want is you want good protein animals, uh, animal protein sources up front. So whether it's your beef, your pork, your chicken, your fish, whatever, you want those proteins first, for sure. Um, you're going to see chicken fat in almost all of them. It's one of the most popular ways to get fat onto the food. So, you know, don't be surprised um, about that. You might see um, a collection of grains. So wheat shorts, you know, we use beet pulp. Um, we use a little bit of flax for fiber. Some people think flax is something to stay away from, particularly people who breed labs um, because they contain these things called phytoestrogens. Um, and too many phytoestrogens in a female that's trying to produce in their body it could things could be detrimental for the breeding cycle we use such a tiny amount of it that it's it's insignificant in regards to that conversation it's just a, a little fiber kick to help with stool production um so you know sometimes we have people concerned about that and i wouldn't say stay away from it i would just say just make sure it's down in the carb section you know further down uh you don't want corn to be your second ingredient that's indicative of the scenario I was just talking about where there's not a great protein source and they're trying to boost it up with some with some corn. So cornmeal gluten, corn gluten uh, is, is not really a great ingredient. So I would stay away from that. Um, you know, you can tell most things, your top 10 ingredients should be protein sources, fat sources, and some grains. And then underneath that, it's probably just gonna be your vitamin mix, um, maybe some preservatives. We use natural preservatives, uh, like vitamin E is a big one. Our vacuum infusion process is a big one. Uh, there's this product called the Thoxiquin, which is a nasty um, preservative. Um, it's it's used in the food, 
like any any goods that's traveling that has to you know not be rotten by the time it gets to you whether it's a grain or uh, meat or a whole bunch of things it can be used in preservatives in the dog food world we have some of it in our factory like traces of it because some of our ingredients come from other factories that contain a toxiquin and the fda still makes us have to put it on our bag because it could come up on like a spectrometer in a parts per million so if you see that we're allowed to say on the bag we don't add it but it's on the bag because it could be there in trace values but if you see that as an ingredient it's probably a low quality food or a, a long shelf food you know where they're just making tons of it and i would stay away from it but I, I like to think about the positive stuff more is like if you can pronounce those first 10 to 12 ingredients and you know that they're animal proteins up front and and grains that you can that you've heard of that sound like they would belong in a breakfast cereal you're probably okay brown rice oats barley those kind of things dogs do great on corn is another good one uh, you know, millet, there's a variety of grains that you can use. Sourcing is just a big thing. You want a good grain from a farmer that has enough of it close by so you can have a consistent formula. Okay. It's all, it's all, it's fascinating, right? I think it's, it's also educational though, too, as, as if you're someone who's exploring different dog foods from a, from a vitamins and mineral standpoint, you've hit it on that a couple of different times, right? What, I want to go back and just revisit like what, what vitamins, what minerals, what do dogs need? What, you know, what, what, yeah, what I mean, they need, they need, they need quite a bit with, with vitamins and minerals for sure. You know, like, um, and, and same with humans. It's just, if they're not getting it from foraging from a bunch of different stuff out in the wild, you got to make sure that you're putting it in there. You know, um, I don't have an ingredient deck in front of me, but like, so you know copper is a mineral that's important in dogs you know it helps with the with the uptake of protein um but you know there's a lot of people right now fearing about too much copper in dog food so again i don't mean to start in a rabbit tail or rabbit hole conversation but you know copper is an essential mineral and you got to have it in all dog foods and even some people will tell you no you can't have copper in your dog food copper will kill your dog so it's like, well, people, cough, you know, vitamin, oh, they're using vitamin because it's a preservative, which means their foods are low quality. It's like, no, it's because it can't go rotten in the bag. Um, but, you know, vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin D, the, the normal ones that we do, you know, um, your calcium, your iron, your copper, all, all stuff that would be in the, in the human diet is pretty much in the dog diet as well. There's there's not too much there that, that we don't need. So we're kind of similar in that way. Um I wish I had an ingredient deck in, in behind me because you'd recognize everything there's, but you know, they do need a variety of vitamins and minerals and it's just for the digestive system and the body to do its thing, you know, give it the best opportunity it can. So, okay, you're giving a good proteins does it have the ability to break those proteins down sufficiently and take what it needs from them, you know, um, as far as vitamins for, you know, ha having healthy blood and, and circulation, there's, there's just so much and people invest so much time, and energy into training their dogs that they want to get complicated with the feed sometimes and really get down into minutia um, but i try to take the other approach but like you know find their energy level find some proteins that work for them get a high protein high fat diet and if it works for them it works for them you know if you don't have to feed five six cups a day for them to keep weight on and they're not a gigantic dog and it's working for them it's working for them like the problems that we try to solve the most are my dog can't keep weight on 
I have to feed seven or eight cups or, you know, my dog just shits liquid on everything I've tried for whatever reason. It's a high drive dog, like a pointer. They have high metabolisms and I can't keep anything solid through them. You know, we, we talk poop and feeding too much and cleaning too much are the two biggest problems that we try to solve. And um, quality proteins and quality fats, you know, that's pretty. And then having the food be fresh, selling direct, getting to the, to the dog early as opposed to late. Those three things make make such a world of difference um, that you can kind of be have a simple approach with it. So the 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 feeding the dog like six seven cups a, a day. There's a, there's someone that I train with. There was in I go to some guy's property to go train my dogs on, and this, mm-hmm. this guy can't keep weight on this dog, and he feeds the dog like six cups a day. And I mean, without fail, the dog will poop two or three times during the training session. Right. We're throwing, yeah. we're like, you know, Matt, Matt, do you run into that at, at your group training sessions too? Yeah. Other people with, with that yeah. situation. Yeah. 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 I see, I see that a lot and it's, um, yeah, it's, um, digestibility it leads me to more questions, but is, is a big thing. So like some, some dogs like Malinois and pointers, especially they're just keyed up. Like they'll vibrate weight off in their sleep, right? They're always kind of just wired looking for the next thing. And sometimes you have to feed six, seven cups and it'll just go through the dog because it's just not getting absorbed for whatever reason. You know what I mean? And us being able to, to grind all of our ingredients in house so that all those flour, like, like consistencies of the ingredients are uniform and then pulling the fat into the food. There's a couple production things we do that just make that food hit the stomach, break down really fast, get absorbed up in the dog really efficiently so that you can cut back their, their stomachs are small. That's the thing. They're only so small, also big. So if you're pumping six cups of food into them and they're only being able to drain 10, 20%, 30% out of that, it's going to come out the butt. That's the only other way to do it. So that's, that's a big thing. If you're feeding your cup, your dog, five, six cups a day, you can probably be looking at another option to feed them. Um, cause it means that that's not working for that dog very efficiently. Yeah. Yeah, when I switched to a Nuksha probably six months or so now, I mean, I I cut the the amount of food I was feeding my Vishla in half. I think I was. Oh, cut, you got a Vishla? Yeah, that's. I have a Vishla right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, she yeah, was. Yeah. I was probably feeding her three, three and a half cups a day. You know, and now I'm down to one and a half. You know, when I first got the Nuksha, I think I was at two, two or two and a half cups, and she was actually mm-hmm. putting weight on. And I had I had texted Tyler. I said. I'm feeding her less and she's still putting weight on. So he said, cut yeah. back even more. So I'm literally Beautiful. feeding, feeding half Beautiful. of what I used to yeah. feed, which is amazing. We tell people 20 to 30% conservatively. And you know, that's, so that's it right there. That's not, that's not because we've got this super secret vitamin mix and all these 20 things put together. You know, it's, it's because we use good proteins, vacuum infuse them, crush them down, get to that dog fast and, Boom. It, it makes good use of it. There's these police Malinois dogs, like the dogs that are in the John Wick movies, jumping 20 feet up a wall into a window. Those dogs sometimes have to eat seven, eight cups a day. And they're in the back of police cars and kennels. You can imagine the stress of that officer. They don't want to have to deal with that with everything else that they have to deal with and mess in the back of that trunk. Right. So getting those dogs down to three cups a day under three cups a day. Um, those kind of success stories have really set us on our path where people are kind of turning their eyes and going, okay, I think, I think there actually might be something different going on here. It's been nothing but BS. And again, smoke and mirrors trying to find a good dog food, but that guy's dogs look good. Her dogs look good. His dogs look good. 
what what's going on. And we've been man, managed to connect enough dots now where people are going, okay, I'm going to call an Uxuk or I'm going to, I'm going to find out if I can get a couple bags of my friend who's getting a pallet or whatever it is. And I, th- I think the thing that's sticking out for me too, is as, as you're talking, Brian, is it's, it, it feels like absorption is the biggest thing, right? Absorption of nutrients and calories like within the dog. Yeah. The, the efficiency of the food system is, is huge. And, yeah. 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 And that's what, that's what like these other dogs are missing. It just, it's just running right through them. So sorry, boys, I have to plug my phone in. I thought I was going to have enough juice and it told me otherwise. I'm changing venues into the kitchen. Um, wake up. Yeah. And no, I know they're, they're good. We got strong. It's an old brick house. It's an old cotton mill town built around a cotton mill. And there's all these brick houses that all the staff used to live in. So you can, have a murder party in here and no one will know on the outside. I don't plan to, but you know, um, choose your neighbors wisely is all. <laughs> Sorry, I'm plugged in there, so we should be good. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so one thing that I've been thinking about is, is like the makeup of dog food and, you know, I think with, with active dogs, with, with working dogs, with hunting dogs, we think about like joint and muscle health. So yeah. How, how does the, the quality of the food affect joint and muscle health. Right. Yeah. So joint and muscle health um, are extremely important, especially with these high impact dogs. Right. So what a lot of dog food brands will do is they'll add some supplementation to their formulas, things that are known to help joints and muscles. Um, glucosamine and chondroitin are the two main ones that come up in conversation a lot. And people will notice that we don't add those to our food. Um, and that's because we're achieving the same thing through our ingredient deck through the fish oils. So those polyunsaturated fatty acids, those omega threes, those omega sixes that we're always talking about, those really are, um, star players in any, in any recipe. So they provide, you know, skin and coat conditioning, joint health, um, cognitive function, olfactory performance is actually, uh, uh, affected by, um, a fatty diet and, and polyunsaturated fatty acids specifically. And we're allowed to use a lot more fish oil than other brands because of our method of pulling the, the fat into the food. We vacuum infuse the fat into the food as opposed to just spraying it on the food, which is common in the fish food production world, but not the dog food world. And we started in fish food and stumbled into dog food with this technology and this gear ready to go, which is why a lot of people don't do what we do. Most dog food companies start as dog food companies. So um, yeah, polyunsaturated fatty acids, omegas are, are amazing, amazing for joints. Um, and, and calcium of course is really important too. And, you know, proper growth and everything. So the dog having the right amount of those throughout its life, um, varying at the stages of growth. And then, you know, tapering off and, and being maintained through their active adult life is, is extremely important. And we don't add glucosamine and chondroitin because we don't need it. Um, they are good things to have in there. And any like performance dog food will probably be trying to accomplish this through one of those two ways or a combination of both, you know, uh, good fats and, and maybe some supplementation from some other sources. So that's, so that was going to be my, it's a good lead in because of my next thought is the thing that I'm thinking about is supplementation, right? Because I do, I, I started feeding my, my oldest dog is now seven. Mm-hmm. I started giving him supplements mm-hmm. when he was two per my vet's recommendation, my vet, um, very, very trustworthy. Um, 
I thought my dog was allergic to the food that I was feeding at the time. And she actually said the opposite of what you had said. Most that's indicate. She said, it's likely not the food. She's like trying to figure out what it actually is, is just, it's really hard. It could be a, it could hard. be a really different. Things. Expensive. Yeah. Um, but she said, Hey, we, I have it. I have a GSP. Um, it's about the same age. I we're starting early to protect joints. Um, you know, I would, if you're looking, I know your dog is performance dog, you know, here's yeah. a couple of things that I'm feeding. So like, sup, do I need to supplement my dogs? Do I not need to supplement my dogs? Um, I mean, on a Nookshook brand, probably not. Um, most people find that they can remove supplementation. Now for joints, it's harder to tell, you know, how the joint is doing day in, day out, if they're not an older dog or prone to, you know, maybe being sore or limping after activity, you know, so a lot of people, the indicator that they'll use is, you know, coat, like they were given, the, the dog had a really dry coat, so they were giving it some salmon oil, or it had like itchy paws or, or something. So they were giving it salmon oil, and then they switched to a nookshook, removed that supplement from the equation and the problem went away so you have some evidence there that things are working right there's no doubt that um you do want to take care of those joints um we have dogs that live long lives on it but as they get older they may start to need a little bit more and maybe you will do supplementation right it, it varies so much per dog like fiber is another one my dog gets extra fiber every day he just needs it. His, his stomach is just never 100%. You know, it's 80% on a good week. Uh, so I give him frozen pumpkin twice a day and, and like a pumpkin frozen ice cubes worth of it every day. Ace just needs that. So there's certainly going to be situations where your dog does need to go outside the diet to get a little bit extra for whatever that reason is. It's going to be individual to that dog. Um, a lot of the problems you can solve probably just on a good diet and you don't need to go to supplementation until they're older or injured or something unique happens. Um, but you should talk and work with your vet on that. Cause again, these dogs are individuals and you want to get good baseline readings and incorporate things in a sensible order before you start eliminating or adding things on. Right. So whenever people switch to a nookshook, we say, if you're doing other, other stuff, stop it. And if those problems persist, um, or come back, well then, okay, incorporate the thing you were doing to help treat it. And if they stay away, well, maybe, maybe you don't need to do that anymore but get a baseline, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, my, my dog's, I'm thinking about seven, so it probably makes, I don't think I'm going to stop supplementing him, but it makes me think about my one-year-old and when when do I start or not start or, you know, and it's probably when she's older. It's not, probably not at two years old, probably four. Probably not, you know, like, like her Joints, I guess, I guess joints do give indicators when they're not working, but you want to be preventative at the same time, right? So you don't want it to get to a point where limping or tire or fatigueness or wear has gotten to a point where it's visible and maybe not repairable. Uh, but there is also, you know, such thing as putting a hat on a hat and and finding finding <laughs> which one you're doing, you know, the right preventative caution care or maybe putting a hat on a hat or a bandaid on a bandaid that doesn't need to be there it can be a complicated process. But I would say with a young, healthy dog on a great diet, that's not giving you any performance indicators and is settled into their adult frame with no issues. Um, uh, unless something outwardly tells you that they need joint care, they probably don't until they would be considered getting into that third stage of the life where, you know, wear and tear is going to be more prominent. And then it's new, new considerations with that new stage of life. Okay. No, that makes Makes sense. I, wear and tear could be early for this dog because sometimes I think she lacks a screw or two up there. 
at times. Yeah, pointers aren't known for their control all the time, so they can tweak and freak and glitch. <laughs> she's a she's a she's a lab, and she's just I I don't oh, know. She's a lab, so yeah, she yeah. does she does she just does interesting stuff. I just can't. It's not. I I can I can tell you a story. When we're not recording. And it's just like, what are you doing, dog? Um, <laughs> and it wouldn't wouldn't be the first time here. So I have a bunch of really selfish questions, though, that I want to like I want to transition into. Before I do that, though, Jeff, for that, before I just keep keep rolling here, anything anything you guys want to jump in here that we've covered here, want to dive into? I wanted to talk a little bit about the the manufacturing process a little bit. You know, you I know you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you guys have some unique production methods. Um, I come from a manufacturing background, so that stuff's always intriguing to me. What okay. what is it about a nookshook that you know, from the manufacturing of the dog food that sets you guys apart from other dog food companies? Yeah, um, there's a there's a few things. So that vacuum infusion process is certainly a big one, um, the biggest one when it comes to a, a manufacturing production standpoint. 99% um, of all dog food companies are getting the fat in their food by spraying it on the food after it comes out of the cooking process. So, you know, the food is still warm, pores in that food are opened up, you spray it with oil, a certain amount of that oil is going to seep into those pores and get absorbed into the food. And then a certain amount of that oil is not, and it's going to remain on the outside of the food, drip to the bottom of the bag. You've been at the bottom of a greasy dog food bag before. Those are the facts. Those are the oils that were sprayed on after the fact. Uh, a couple of you guys mentioned that you feed a nuksha. And uh, so when you get to the bottom of your bag and the top of your bag, you'll notice it's kind of the same. Um, the food is a little shiny maybe, but it's, it's not oily to the touch. Uh, and it's denser. And the reason is, is because we didn't spray the fat onto that food. We pulled the fat into all, every air pocket in that food, every tiny little pore we filled with fat. And the reason that we do this is because we used to make commercial fish food and we made like the best commercial fish food around the Anukshuk of the fish food. Um, Cause there was a lot of fisheries around here. We're again, you know, Atlantic, it's, it's like Boston, it's, you know, just go up the coast We're we're fishing too. Uh, big industry. So there's a lot of fish and fish food. You want it to be fatty and protein rich, just like dog food. Cause you want those fish to eat. Hopefully a small amount of it, get nice and big and healthy, then attract a bigger fish or it gets old as a fish. Right? So because fish food, you're feeding it in water, oil and water, fat and water, they don't behave together the way that you always want them to. So you have to do things. You have to manipulate that fat in the fish food for it to sink or for it to float the way that you want it to. So infusing is part of the fish food making game. Um, we had a guy coming into our plant. This is before my time there, but the story is kind of legendary now. He was buying a metric ton of fish food and we knew all of our clients and Lee, the owner, the founder, he came up to him and he said, listen, I, uh, thanks for buying this metric ton of fish food, but I know you don't have fish. So can I ask you what the heck you're doing with it? And the guy said, I'm feeding it to my sled dogs because this stuff is high protein. It's high fat. It weighs a fraction of what meat weighs. It costs a fraction of what meat or dog food costs. So I just like pour a bunch on their meat and I mix it in with warm water and they love it and it gets them everything they need to keep going. And Lee kind of just said, well, hell, I can make you a dog food <laughs> that kind of does the same thing. That's even better for these dogs. Is that something that would would be of interest to you and other people? Uh, and the guy said, "Well, yeah, that would be awesome." So that led to the development. It was originally called Musher's Choice, but that was our thirty-two, thirty-two kind of genesis moment. Um, that vacuum infusion process. Our our plant was built 
uh, in 82 um, by Lee. He was a microbiologist scientist of the University of New Brunswick, uh, looking to start up a business and industry, uh, did so. And then 20 years in, the fish, the fish industry had changed from like 40 farmers to like two because they all got bought up by bigger and bigger companies and less and less work was being done at places and you're, or they're buying from somewhere else. So the game changed. So Lee was making a pivot towards pet food anyways. And this performance thing really struck us as a unique element that we can we can do something different with. So to this day, still that 3232 at 720 kcals of energy per cup, that's the highest energy dog food in the world. There just isn't one that has that many calories per cup because no one's vacuum infusing, pulling more fat and calories and energy into that food the way that we can. Everyone's just spraying their food still. So that's like the biggest unique production um, difference. The other one that's kind of like on the techie side is just having a hammer mill where we grind all of our ingredients in-house. So we're not buying them pre-ground from a bunch of different places. You know, like enriched wheat flour. I don't know if you guys are told, don't buy shitty wheat flour Wonder Bread. Enriched wheat flour means they've taken all the ingredients out of the out of the wheat. They've put a little bit back in for the for the process of making this bread. So it's enriched. It's actually like a it means it has less than it used to. So we grind whole grains in-house. Most people don't have a really good mill or they have 12 different mills and it would be way longer and more complicated to mill their own foods. They just buy premixes. I think if you're making beer at home, you know, you can mill, you grind your own grains and do that four hour process and add that to the brewing process. Or you can just buy wort and off you go, right? We go from scratch. Um, most places don't. So we get a consistency of the grain. Um, we get all those nutrients from the whole grain that aren't getting stripped out by somebody else before we buy that end product from them. So that affects the food uh, and the digestibility level. Things break down a lot quicker because they're all the same size and format and it's a very fine grind. So it's quick to break down and get absorbed. Um, and yeah, we know that that quality ingredient because we, we bought it whole kind of thing. So those are, those are the two like techie kind of, you know, production things that make us different. The other big thing is our scale. We don't feed all the dogs in North America. We feed less than 1% of them. Uh, there's, there's a lot of dogs out there. So we don't need to have 12 mills scattered across the country and 8 million customers. You know, um, we, can, we, we can focus on a smaller number, keep our scale and our quality and our consistency up um, and try to just find our lane and our position that way, which is not common thinking for dog food brands because most of them are owned by huge chocolate bar companies and they're thinking, Shareholders, more doors, more stores, however, make that however possible, right? They're not thinking of a ceiling the way that we are, because that ceiling of scale protects the product and a lot of other things that kind of spin out from that. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. That, and that's such a cool history of the company, how it started with in the fish market and kind of evolved into dog food. Um, and the fact that you guys use the in-house ingredients, I think that's really really important you know it helps you keep consistency and quality control and all those good things so that's that's really good to hear yeah. that you guys are doing that too yeah it's a, it's a pretty cool operation i mean it's it's a it's a pretty big plant we've got about 70 staff you know that tower is running most of the week not constantly um and it's quite the operation to to keep everything going you know the, and it's hard work too like it's hot and it's loud in that mill and we're churning out 10 20 30 40 50 tons of food you know, a day, twice a day kind of thing. Um, 
you know, it, it, it is a hard, hard process to do. So to, to make a good quality product that we do um, and keep the, door, the doors open and, and not have a formula that's constantly changing or going up in price or not available, we're, we're pretty proud of that because it's, it's friggin' tough. <laughs> I, be, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you yeah, only got 1% but, uh, of them, which is probably just, yeah. It, you probably can't even fathom that. I think we'd be throwing a staff party at 1%, you know, it's, it's a massive market and, yeah. and, you know, that's good because it means that there's nothing but opportunity. Uh, it could be bad because it might mean we max that out at one point. And that's a, that's an interesting problem to have to solve in today's world. And, you know, we're, we're not there yet. So we're not really solving that problem yet. We're kind of just building, um, building towards that problem. It's probably not how I should describe the business plan. We're just building growth in general <laughs> and we'll figure out ways to make it work as we go. We're lucky to, uh, to have room to grow. There's more, more people that are going to be coming on the sales team, on the marketing team. Uh, you know, it'll get us to bigger shows, more trials, uh, that grassroots kind of putting yourself in front of people has been our, our best way of kind of having these kind of conversations and maybe getting a couple people turned on and trying the food and, and seeing if they can spot a difference. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, I'll stop being selfish, Tyler. You can no, go no. ahead and be selfish and go ahead with your questions. <clears throat> this is now we're, this is this is me time here. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I've been I've this is something I've been wondering. I would love to get your opinion on it. It's about optimal feeding time with with dogs. So mm. and the the optimal number of meals as well. So so like Jeff, right? I've decreased the amount of food that my dogs get substantially. Like I can feed. Mm -hmm. Like my two dogs, depending on activity level, and right now it's winter, and so we are not training five or six days a week, right? They are maybe hunting one or two days a week if we're lucky, yeah. um, you know. And it'll get it'll get harder in January and February too when seasons close up. Mm -hmm. So, like, as a result, like I'm I'm my dogs eat less than two cups a day, you know. Is one meal a day okay? Is should it still be two? Like what's, where does, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, we do have opinions on that. Um, you know, a lot of, it seems in the hunting world more commonly than other worlds, the once a day feeding thing is quite popular. Uh, people don't want to put a meal in a dog's stomach before they do any serious activity. You don't want to have bloat, twist the stomach or whatever. Um, so they'll, they'll do a big feed at night kind of thing. The, the problem, and if, Hey, you know, for all of this, whatever works for you, works for you. So we have recommendations and opinions, but if what you're doing is working and it's not the way that we say it's going, that doesn't matter. You know, it's working for you. Right. So I always like to kind of preface with that. But the thing with the feeding once a day is imagine if you had to have your breakfast, your lunch and your dinner, which is the same amount of calories that you need for the day, but you only had, you had to eat it all at one meal. You would get full halfway through. You would be in the bathroom for maybe longer than you are currently during your lunch break expelling the rest because you can only handle so much food at once. Your stomach is only so big. So giving them everything they need for the day at once, there's a good chance they're not going to be able to absorb everything they want. So breaking that amount up into two amounts, and it doesn't have to be 50, 50, it could be 25, 75, um, 25, 75% mix or, or something different, you know, um, that's going to give them a better chance to absorb more of the food and digest that food easier and better. Um, so we recommend two meals a day. If you're worried about too much feed before an active day out in the field, uh, try to feed an hour ahead of time if you can and keep it a small meal. 
So, and you know, with us, the nice thing is a small meal goes a long way because it's more calories per cup. Um, and it's got a high digestibility. So a small meal in the morning, an hour before it's go time is fine. Give them a bigger meal at night. We think that's the ideal scenario for a dog hunting days, normal days, two meals split down the middle is fine. You know, um, the one meal a day thing, just unless that's the only way your dog will eat, or there's some other reason that makes that, uh, the way that works for you, we don't typically recommend it, but we know it works for a lot of people. Okay. So that that's, that's perfect. And then, so you, you got your recommendation is at least one hour a day before vigorous exercise. Cause we're going to, yeah we're, go, we're yeah. going to, we're going to be upland hunting from, you know, legal shooting hours, which are like 8 AM until probably like 4 PM, um, you know, four days next week. And so, you know, trying yeah, to figure out, I'm already thinking about at six, six thirty if you can, you know, yeah. again, seven, you'll be fine. You know, we always gave it at least an hour. We tried to give it to when we could, we realize there's only so many hours in the day and you're already getting up early. You got kids, you got dogs, you got hunting to do. None of that happens at noon. Right. Um, typically. So we, we get that, but you know, an hour is a good amount of time for a lot of that food to have hit the system, started its way up and being digested. It's not just sitting in the gut and that's, really where the problem with, with bloat and the st stomach turning, twisting and everything really comes into play, right? So you're typically okay with an hour, give it more if you can. And make if you're going to give two meals in a day, make that first meal a little bit smaller. Um, again, just to help yourself out, right? Um, and lots of water on hand. Um, make sure your dog gets a drink. Another thing in the hunting world is like we say on our bag, don't float a nook shook. Um, just keep lots of fresh water on hand. Well, some dogs, when they're anxious to hunt, they're not going to drink water unless there's food in it, and they're just doing it for the food. If that's the only way your dog's going to get water in, go ahead and float our food. That's more important than just having lots of water on hand. But having water in the dog's stomach will obviously help the digestion process as well. Um, and, and it's good just because maybe it'll be harder for them to take a drink later on down the road. So try to fill their tank with a little bit of that too while you can, right? And then what about after vigorous, vigorous exercise? How long should we wait before you, before you feed them? Yeah, I, again, I would say about an hour, you know, let, let them cool down. You can give them a little treat, little snack, something like that. Let them cool down. Let their body temperature kind of cool down, their heart rate cool down, and then get them, get them some food in front of them. Kind of like, I don't know if you guys run or do anything like cardio wise, but the last thing I feel like doing after I come home from a run is eating. Uh, it's maybe drink of water. And then there's usually, usually a bit of time before, even if it's a big race and I was hungry, you still probably need that 10, 15, 20 minutes, even before you go, you go for a snack. Right. So dog dogs are the same way. They'll probably want to cool down themselves. There are some are voracious animals though. Labs will eat, you know, underwater mid sleep labs will eat whenever they, they, they can, I suppose. <laughs> so maybe they're the exceptions to that rule, but yeah, again, now is a good amount of time. Okay. And then do you, uh, do you recommend, um, like, uh, shifting the amount of food or adjusting the amount of food that, that, you know, I would feed my dogs based on their activity level. I do that currently because I'm very, yeah. I'm very particular about my dog's weight. And I mean, I wish I, I watched how much I ate as much as I watch how much they eat and try to maintain mm. their girlish figures. Um, yeah. but I mean, I'm very particular about how much they weigh and, and what they look like and everything like that. So I'll well, it only, it only makes level. sense to, if they're not working as hard, they don't need as much food. So yeah, in the hunting world, 
there's off season, there's on season, there's go time, there's slow time. Uh, feed accordingly. If things slow down in the heat and they're not working that much in the height of summer, they probably don't need as much food. Um, their body weight is usually going to tell you if they drop a pound or two or put on a pound or two. If you're paying attention, you can probably notice and then just make the adjustment based off of that. People often ask us, like, should I switch down a whole protein and fat level or just cut, cut back the amount of the formula that I'm using? I like to keep things simple as possible whenever I can in my life. So I always suggest if you can do it with staying within the same formula, just cut back 20%, 10%, whatever that adjustment is that you need to make. Um, some people like to go down because they want to keep the meals bigger, you know, so a 26, 16 meal is going to look a little bigger maybe fill the stomach up a little bit more. I don't have a dog that's particularly concerned about that. So, you know, I keep it simple and just feed a little bit less of the same formula, but both work. The system, the, the, the formulas are meant to be interchangeable. And if your dog energy needs go up, you can feed up, they go down, you can feed down. Um, so they're, they're, they're meant not to like affect the digestive system or throw their guts into a panic or anything like that. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, that was, that was the thing that I really wanted to ask right there all about, about timing, volume, um, uh, just all that stuff. That's, that's like the thing that I've been worrying about the most and wanting to get more and more opinions on. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know their dogs, like target weight. They might know what their dog weighs, but whenever you're in the vet, ask them, you know, how much do they weigh? How much should they weigh? You know, how can I tell when they're at a good weight? Like I know, know when, like, you know, two, the two ribs is too much to see from two feet away or whatever the rule is, you know, like I know when my dog looks a little thin or a little, a little overweight. Um, Cause I just kept asking the vet and kept measuring them and checking them. So if you, especially if you have a young dog that's been growing, you got to feed to their age and weight as well. Right. So if you got a puppy, you know, look for a feeding chart that gives you zero to three months, six to 12 months, you know, whatever those breakdowns may be. Um, Cause you're going to have to adjust quite a bit because they're going to get bigger and their needs are going to change every every month because their weight's going to change every month so when you've got that puppy keep your eyes on weight quite closely and then with an adult dog you know know what their target weight should be and and try to stick to that dogs aren't really big so if they're 10 15 percent overweight or a couple pounds overweight that could that could really accelerate some joint fatigue or some joint wear and you don't want that right so try to keep these guys in as good shape as possible because i think someone said on your show there's nothing better than a good hunting dog they don't last long enough right i think it was your last guest that said that Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Jeff, Matt, anybody else want to take, take over here before I keep rolling? I do have one more. Um, and this was actually a question from your buddy, Tyler, that I, that I liked and had wrote down, but maybe some of this you can share with us, maybe some of this you can't, but you know, as the understanding of dog nutrition keeps, you know, evolving and we become smarter as humans, um, and learn more about nutrition and science and yada, yada, yada. You know, are there any upcoming trends or like innovations, you know, specifically relating to sporting dogs that might be, you know, coming down the pipeline? Innovations is, you know, it's, I don't think there's a lot, I don't think there's a ton of like groundbreaking new ingredients or anything that's going to catch the, the market on fire, you know, there's like bot fly or not bot fly, but like fly larva as protein sources or like kelp as um, a source for, you know, whatever kelp provides. I'm not too sure myself, but I, I think those, those ingredients will be hard to make a dent into the large picture because they're too niche. People don't know enough about them. 
maybe they're not available on mass or no one's willing to incorporate them. So all the new ingredients that we see come come up and uh, up and down, I, I generally tend to think won't make a large impact. So I think one thing you can expect from the market is not a great deal of new ingredients being the thing that make a formula seem different when it gets brought to market. You know, probiotics, prebiotics, those things were very popular five, 10 years ago. They might've been considered a, a product evolution. Did they change things very much? Not really. They're kind of addressing, you know, like if your food's not getting digested well, maybe some probiotics will help that. They're, they're kind of solving a problem they're causing by making a food that's not very digestible, right? Prebiotics are, are something different. They, they help kick that process off. We do include them in our formula. But there's, there's nothing really revolutionary that's, that's going to come around. It's just like human food. There is no secret or miracle. You just got to put good food in your body as much as you can and try to get out there and get some exercise and keep things balanced, right? So I think you're going to see probably claims about, you know, additives that'll help for code or help for joint or help for this or help for that, but they're probably not reinventing the wheel and they're probably trying to cover up problems that ingredient decks should be solving on their own. Um, it seems to me that um, some of the more higher, as far as trends go, some of the higher, bigger brands that have the marketplace in the worlds that we're talking about in the hunting worlds, um, they're going to stick around and they'll be players for a long time, but there seems to be trust issues in the industry in general, where formulas are being frigged with or prices are, are skyrocketing, not at the same rate the market's actually, you know, maybe dictating change. We, we, we have price increases too. No one's immune to those. Um, but it seems trust is, is going to be the, the biggest commodity, the biggest thing that people can trade in that is going to take these dog food brands that are going to be options 20, 30, 40 years down the road is trust in a formula that works and that stays the formula that is working. You know what I mean? So I don't know what, how much of the ground has to fall out for people to make changes to their formulas where you see some more stabilization or if new companies will grow up out of that. That's actually going to be interesting to see. And, the, and it's such a huge, massive market that both things could go on and exist at the same time, right? And I could be wrong about everything and equally right. Uh, who knows? You know, there's just so many players in the game. But I, I think the trust issue is going to be the, the big one to solve. Like if I was, you know, wearing a hat for big dog food company right now, the answer I'd probably be trying to get to my underlings is, you know, why don't people like us anymore? Or like us the way they used to and solving that problem and if they honestly solve that problem and it's related to the food you'll see people i think make differences but i think it's got to come the change has got to come from the food for it to, to make any impact in the market because people have been told and sold everything at this point yeah that makes total sense you know and that's probably got that that's the hard part of your job right being a, a marketing director is that you know we are creatures of habit and even though people do sometimes have trust issues with food People are afraid to switch. You know, that's kind of the flip side of what you said, that they've been comfortable thing. with the same type of food and, you know, maybe they have a, a chewy reoccurring order. And, you know, we are creatures of habit and nobody likes yeah. to switch, right? No, no, it, it can be a pain in the butt because it doesn't mean the first thing you switch to is going to work. People don't want to switch. It's like buying car parts. You know, I used to sell kayaks and everyone who came into my store wanted to be in my store. They wanted to buy a kayak or think about buying a kayak. It's fun. When you go to buy car parts, it's because your friggin' car broke and now you gotta go buy some car parts. It's a completely different selling dynamic. 
it's like an adversarial relationship inherently every time with a car part no one wants to spend the money versus like oh i can't wait till i can spend my money on this toy or this thing dog food has come kind of somewhere in the middle where they don't want to be spending an arm and a leg on it if they don't have to spend an arm and a leg on it but they need something good because this animal is good and they wanted to perform good you know so you can't just get it any old thing right so yeah just having a good product and be able to talk about it honestly about what makes it good and, and why your dog might respond to it um and being as direct as much as we can as it has been where we've won with that you know it's we're small enough where we're easy to get a hold of and, and have these conversations and move our needle a little bit right um so that's our approach with it and yeah it's a it's a big old market so it is tough as a marketing director sometimes no one believes you you know, and it's fine. They've been burned by corn. They've been burned by chicken before. It's not they don't believe me. It's they don't believe the game. You know, they, they've been burned by the game too much. And I, I don't hold that against anybody for a second. You know, every time I give them food, I just go, thank God the food's going to back up what I just said. Because the marketing guy, of course, is going to say it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've been through the ringer with my dog, especially when she was a puppy, you know, going through all these different brands and to the point where I even created an Excel sheet that was doing V lookups comparing ingredients to try to figure out what ingredient was potentially causing her digestive issues. Yeah, you're in the trenches. Oh man, it was horrible. You know, and, and yeah. once I found a food that did work, you know, the food I used to feed, you know, it was very hard for me to to finally, you know, decide to switch because I didn't want to have to go through that whole thing over and over again. But no one man, does. I, I sure I sure am glad that I did. And you know, I've had a lot of success with the Nookshook so far. So all right, we're gonna uh, we'll start to sort of wind things down here a little bit, Ryan. I've got a couple more questions, and we'll we'll finish up with uh, our traditional finish here as podcast. So, um, you the way you describe what dogs need from an energy perspective actually had me thinking a lot about Jeff. Right? You're are you feeding twenty six sixteen to Josie? No, I have the um, what is it the the one up from that uh, thirty twenty five thirty twenty five yeah okay. Right. That is that is that the right food for a Visla? Yeah. Who's gonna I be running say, the upland fields? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine ninety percent of adult hunting dogs are gonna be on thirty twenty-five or marine twenty-five. For your really hard keepers, your your extreme cases, there might be ten percent that are on thirty-two, thirty-two. Pointers, Vizlas might be candidates for that. But even even with those higher drive metabolism dogs, thirty twenty-five is is the most popular option. And that's technically an all life stage formula. You can start puppies on it, but we do recommend most puppies start on 2616. They just don't need that much protein or fat until they can really let loose and increase their training time. And that's not supposed to happen until they're settled in their adult frame anyway. So you might have a dog that's a bigger breed or a Vizsla that you just can't keep weight on. And then you, 3025 is there to bump them up in those cases as a safe option. But for the most part, keep your keep your puppies and your growing gun dogs on 2616 or Marine 16 if you can. It'll just be easier to feed them the right amount. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, last one I have for you is how do you convince guys that feed raw diets to their dogs to switch over to a nook shook? Try it. If, cause if they're calling me, they have a problem, right? If they're calling me, it's because something's not working. So their raw food diet's not working. So sometimes we'll talk for 20 seconds and I'll say, try it and call me back. And then if you buy by the pallet, we'll give you back that money for that bag. Or if that's how you're going to buy, you've got your solution. Um, and it, it, it just, it works <laughs> so often. So, you know, sometimes they want to talk for two hours and then at the end of it, I'll go, okay, now go try it. 
<laughs> and that and that's really it. So you know, samples, uh, getting to, getting to trial events, getting to trade shows, um, getting in front of people who recognize dog food, so they can tell when they've got something different in their hand when they hold our food. Um, but it, the biggest thing, man, is like none of this matters if it doesn't work for the dog. Um, Chewy will always give you your money back if it doesn't work out, or your reseller, you know, they're going to work with you as well. So there's not a lot of risk involved to try a bag. And typically, if it's going to work out, you'll know by the end of one bag. You know, if it worked for a month, it'll probably work for the rest of their life if it needs to kind of thing. Um, and thank God I can say that again, <laughs> that we're making a product that can back that up because that's, that's, that's it. That's a difference maker. That's what we're focused on, that dog food working. That was that was me letting you give a sales pitch to Matt. So he's a, he feeds. feeds well, maybe he'll try it. <laughs> maybe he'll listen to ten more podcasts and not try it. You know, Matt's time is his own. Um, but you know, you can share my email with him if he if, if he wants to have maybe an inside edge on trying some. I'm happy to to extend a generosity. <laughs> but again, you know, there's other good foods out there, and if what you're doing, anybody is is working, and it's not on a nook shook, it's on a food that hopefully maybe you understand a little bit more now about why it's working. That's good too. We can't be the only solution. We never will be. It won't scale up that way. So, you know, it's good that there's other good options out there. Don't fix it if it ain't broke and don't worry if it doesn't need fixing. Sometimes people aren't happy unless they're fixing something, but you know, try to try to come at things honestly and, and even headedly. And if there is a problem that food can fix, there's a food out there that'll fix it. Hopefully it's ours. Perfect. That that's a great way to wrap up the main portion of the podcast. Uh, I think it is anyway. Brian, the way we typically finish up these podcasts are with mm -hmm. what we call our sky blasting questions, which are oh. it's essentially like rapid fire. So these questions could be related to dogs, nutrition, could be anything for you too. So um, the premise is essentially we'll ask the question and uh, first thing that comes to mind for you, just put out the answer. Oh, okay. Association. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a fun way to wrap things up. Uh, so if I say my mother, you guys are going to know something about me, right? Yeah. If I just jump right to yeah. that. One of those kind of things. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. I'm ready. Sorry. I okay. had to plug in again. I'm at 1%. So I'm glad that these are rapid fire, but I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Let's go first, gentlemen. I can go. All right. Well, what was the last book you read? Uh, I'm currently rereading the Game of Thrones books. So I am on the fourth, which is The Feast for Crows, maybe. Um, so my last book would have been the one before that, uh, Storm of Swords or Clash of Kings, one of the two. I can't remember. Third. What was the last movie you saw in theater? And theater spider-man across the spider-verse no i saw that terrible flash movie in the theater last fart damn that's a crappy answer i didn't like it it's <laughs> <laughs> a great answer yeah. <laughs> uh i just once your family life slows down what other kind of dog or dog breed would you be interested in getting next i love britney spaniels i see myself getting a britney they're a little bit smaller Ace takes up a lot of real estate in our little house, so we might downside. I also really like um, like Griffins and wire hair pointers, um, so a draft hour or something like that. I could see probably probably one of those two. I'd think. Cool. All right, that's what I had. Beautiful. <clears throat> all right, I'll go next. I have I have a little bit of a theme here. They're all would you rather type things. So 
All right. Oh, I've, first, I've been at camp. First one. Would you rather be chronically underdressed or chronically overdressed for the rest of your life? Chronically underdressed because I fear change. I'm already <laughs> like that. So let's just, let's just, it seems to be working just fine. Let's keep that. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Would you rather watch nothing but Hallmark Christmas movies or nothing but horror movies the rest of your life? Horror movies. All right. Would you rather, this is my last one. Would you rather have a pause button or a rewind button in your life? That's a really good one. Uh, I think now with having young kids, well, rewind gets you the same thing as pause. I mean, can I go back as many times as I want? I suppose. But you can never, you can never pause it though. You have to rewind and it just keeps going. There's no pause at all. Well, I'm not a pervert. I don't need to like, you know, stop the frame and be the only <laughs> yeah. one aware of it. You know, I can I can relive it naturally. I'll go I'll go okay. rewind. Or rewind. All <laughs> not right, not like to it. offend you pause heads out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Those are the only ones I got. Uh, <laughs> that's <yeah>. funny. <laughs> All right. Uh just uh just four here. Uh how often do you travel to the States, Brian? The three times a year. Three times a year? Okay. Ever yeah. been to Wisconsin? Never been to Wisconsin. I'm going, I've been, I've never been to a lot of spots. I'm going now this year. I'm going to South Dakota for the first time, Sioux Falls. Uh, and I'm going to Vegas. Uh, been there. Uh, it's a place. And then we're going to Louisiana for a trade show as well. And I've never been to Louisiana. So, but there's, there's, there's some sled stuff in Wisconsin and maybe a few reasons for us to go there. There is, there is a, a few draws there hunting, of course, hunting trips or and trial series and things like that. I know are in your neck of the woods too. So. Okay. Uh, for you, what is your favorite food? Um, I mean, nachos, if it's like just one single dish, like nachos. Um, but it's like, if, if it's like a type of food, like I really love Thai and Mexican. Uh, Mexican's crunchier, so I'll go Mexican. Mexican. Yeah, I guess that makes sense with the nachos. Yeah, Mexican. Yeah, yeah. Great answer. All right, uh, coffee or energy drinks? Uh, coffee. Yeah, I can't even do soda. Those energy drinks are a phenomenon. I I, I did not hop hop on. Yeah, they passed me by. Okay. Uh, and then coffee. Is that black coffee or sugar and cream? Uh, never cream, never sugar, sometimes black, sometimes with milk. Right now with steamed eggnog. Uh, mm. which is the bomb. Yes. The we, me and my wife love eggnog, mostly in our coffee. I'll do it with rum as well. But yeah, yeah. You're blowing Tyler's mind here. He's going to have to try this now. I'm, so I seriously might try it because I could even, I, I have a I have an espresso machine and I could even yeah, froth yeah, yeah. the eggnog. Oh, That's what God. I do. And I you don't even need to add the coffee sometimes. That froth steamed eggnog is amazing on its own. And with a little bit of warmed up rum, like at the end of a night, dude, Nothing better to wrap Christmas presents with. It's really, really good. Yeah. I don't know if I need to wrap Christmas yeah, presents awesome. or just sleep in the living room. Um. <laughs> Both Pass out on the floor. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one will be a great way to finish up and educational here. What is the best way to transition a dog to a new food? Yeah, we, we, we'll just err to the side of caution with this one. So we say add 25% of the new food every two to four days, depending on what the dog's coming off of and how that dog's stomach has traditionally been. So if they're coming off of a good food with a similar ingredient deck, you should be able to have them switched over with 
after a week, maybe two weeks. Um, if you've got a dog with a sensitive stomach and has tried everything under the sun and, you know, you don't really know what you're dealing with and you want to take some more time, add 25% every three or four days and do it over the course of two or three weeks, you know. Um, typically, you shouldn't have to do it longer than that. Some dogs will be fine going cold turkey. Again, it depends what they're switching from and depends on that dog. But um, we always, that's not the answer we actually give. That's just what I said now. You probably shouldn't have. 25% every two to four days. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. That's the, the, that is a great answer to a last question. That's very, very pertinent. I think based on the episode, uh, Brian, so. before, yeah, before we go though, if people want to know more about a nook shook, if they want to get in touch with you, cause they have additional questions, if they want to yeah. find it and try some, how, how do they go about doing that? Yeah. So, um, Anukshuk Pro at Corey.ca is my email. So I-N-U-K-S-H-U-K-P-R-O at Corey, C-O-R-E-Y.ca. That'll get to me. Uh, my Bluetooth headphone just died. Can you guys still hear me? Yep. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. Yep. Uh, the Facebook and the Instagram uh, messenger or DMs will go right to my pocket as well. So you can always reach out that way. Uh, let us know where you're where you heard of us from because we do like to attribute you know where, where people are coming in from and then we have a 1-800 number you can call during business hours 1-800-561-0072 8 to 5 monday to friday atlantic standard time early um but we're open uh so those are the best ways to get a hold of us and to try a nookshook it depends on where you're at uh, if you're in the states chewy is the quickest and easiest way with a guarantee of someone nearby because they'll ship anywhere for the most part. Sorry, Hawaii, sorry, Alaska. Um, or a trusted reseller. So we have a trusted reseller map on our website. Take a look at that to see if there's anyone in your neck of the woods. Our resellers usually have samples on hand, or maybe they're willing to, to part with a little bit that they have going to see if your dog likes it. In Canada, we can mail you samples because uh, there's no border in the FDA and uh, complications in the way. So just reach out. Um, if you're in Canada, we'll, we, we can get you samples a little bit easier. Sorry for our U.S. friends there. Um, we sell wholesale direct by the pallet. You can ship it to any address across North America. That's pretty much the, the bread and butter of the business. So if you know that you need a pallet of dog food or a few people that you can go in on, we can get a really, really good price. Um, whether East coast, West coast, wherever we can, we can get the food there. So we're pretty easy to find the website's nookshookpro.com. Just hop on there and ways to get a hold of us answering your questions. All this kind of stuff is on that site for sure. Perfect. Thank you for that. Thank you for your time, Brian. We really appreciate it. I know I learned a ton. Um, big fan of Anukshuk. I also recommend it to anybody who's looking for a new food for their dogs. Um, hey, I um, hope you had a good time. Hopefully it's not too late for you. And uh, we'd love to have you back on again sometime soon in the I near future. I don't think I'm going to get Helms deep in tonight, but I had a great time. So no worries. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the questions and the interest, guys. And uh Matt, you know, two out of three ain't bad, man. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, take Thanks, care. Brian. Thanks. Nice meeting you. Have a great night. Nice meeting you. You as well. Cheers. Happy holidays.